This is Real Estate Ricky Show 373. Today, we're going to cover how one entrepreneur dug herself out of debt from being over leveraged into a different strategy and how she paid down over $130,000 in debt and is now making super steady income with her real estate business. Now, if you don't know me, my name is Tony J. Robinson. I am one half of the Real Estate Ricky podcast. And welcome to the Real Estate Ricky Show, where every week, Three times a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. Now, on episode 370, we had Kieran talking about the pros and cons of Airbnb arbitrage. And today, we're going to take that conversation one step further and talk about co-hosting, what that Airbnb strategy is, and what are the pros and cons and how it works and whether or not it makes sense for you. So, Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tony. I'm super excited to be here today. I want by reading a question that you posted inside of the Ricky community, and uh, and then we can kind of dive into what's happened since then. But here's a question. It says, hey, Rookies, I'm in desperate need of some help here. I've been doing rental arbitrage for one year, making $1,500 to 2000 bucks per house over those first six to eight months. But with the increase of supply in our market, we're now losing money and the landlords are trying to increase rents even more and they aren't even asking for market rates. We still have significant debt from each home because we use profits to open more properties. So what should we do? Option one is my partner wants to sell everything off and move on. We'll still owe about $80,000 between everything we put into these houses. Option two, find a three to four unit home and use an FHA loan to rent out our other units. And if it's in a decent area, move the furniture there to convert it to an Airbnb or just use it as a long-term rental. And finally, option three, which is use furniture from our properties for a staging company and then pay down as much debt as possible. So Nicole, uh, appreciate the transparency there in that post, but I'd love to know what happened and like, how'd you get to that point? And uh, I guess what's happened since then? Absolutely. So that was in October, 2021, when we started off with rental arbitrage. And as the post said, things were great for the first six to eight months about. And in San Antonio, we had the market go from about a 68% occupancy to now it's around 54%. And we ended up going with option one after a few months of debating and getting help from the rookies group and turned our business into a co-hosting business where we now help 14 different owners with their properties all around the U.S. and get to do it remotely while making a much more steady income. Gotcha. So what what made you guys choose to sell everything off? I mean, that's I'm sure that's got to be a tough decision to make to say, hey, we're just going to you know wave the white flag and kind of give everything up. So what, what made you feel that option one was the right choice? Absolutely. So we were in I was in a really low point. My partner was much more level headed with some of the decisions we were making. But at that time, we were in $80,000 of debt just from the arbitrage units of putting too much into the furniture. We'll talk about this later, but all the mistakes we made of investing money into other people's houses where we weren't getting the returns. And we got to the point of noticing things weren't looking better in our particular market. And in our businesses in the past, we've been able to totally switch gears and put ourselves into a better position in just a year or two down the road. And that's what we ended up deciding to pursue more. Yeah. And, you know, I, I again, I, I love that you guys had the courage to, to kind of pull that trigger because there are some people who see themselves kind of staring down this road of, we don't know what's going to happen next or things don't look too great here, but they don't have the courage to kind of switch and pivot. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear you guys felt that way. Now, I just want to quickly recap the differences because you started off with rental arbitrage, which again, we talked about rookies back on episode 370. You said you've pivoted to co-hosting. For folks that maybe aren't familiar with those phrases, what exactly is Airbnb arbitrage and how does that differ from co-hosting? Absolutely. So with arbitrage, we're working usually one-on-one -on -one with homeowners directly and we are signing a regular lease. So a year lease is what we were typically doing. And we were in charge of the utilities. We had to have the rent in our business name. We did have it in our business name rather than our personal names. And we were responsible for any normal utilities or issues that would come up if you were a normal renter at a house versus with co-hosting. We help property owners now from a different aspect of they have the utilities kept in their name. They're responsible for paying their mortgage and all expenses that are related to managing a short-term rental while we just get to benefit from 
the potential profits from it. So still working with homeowners one-on-one, but a lot less liability for ourselves as a co-host. And I got to imagine one of the other benefits, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but you know, now you're, you're kind of going into someone else's unit. So a lot of those startup costs probably uh, trickle down a little bit as well. So I, I definitely want to get into the lessons learned, Nicole, and, and kind of what your process has been for making that pivot from arbitrage to co-hosting. But first, we're going to take a quick break so we can hear a word from our show sponsors. Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller-financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent to retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. All right, we are back. And Nicole just kind of shared her journey of uh, quickly scaling up as an Airbnb arbitrage business owner, uh, that kind of not going according to plan and end up significantly in debt, uh, and then having the courage to pivot to a different strategy. Um, you know, one of the first questions I want to ask here, Nicole, before we, we dive in, because I'm, I'm sure you've learned a lot of lessons as you've gone through this. And, you know, how do you kind of vet some of those co-host opportunities you're taking on? But before we get into that, just one question that that I want to really drill down on is you said that you were, you were kind of in a, in a dark place when all this was going on mentally, what even gives you the courage to say that I want to continue to invest in real estate? Because there are some people and understandably so who might experience that loss, that, that initial failure and say, Hey, real estate is just not for me at all. So what was going through your mind to kind of give you that courage to keep moving forward? We, I was absolutely at that point. That was something for me. It was a hard point to not want to give up. We actually, Prior to that, we just lost our businesses in San Diego, California. So this was actually our second time starting over in about a year and a half or two years. We closed our gyms down when COVID happened. So this was our 
new life starting over again and things didn't go according to plan. And the perseverance is just something that we know that there's no other options for us to give up. We are very normal people. I don't have a lot of backup plans of my family can take care of me. I have this W-2 job. We've never had W-2 jobs since we've since I was 18, really. I've never had a W-2 job. And it was just giving it one more shot kind of in real estate and seeing if I could find a different path and ended up going into co-hosting and being an agent to see if this was hopefully the next win. And it's been so much better in just a year time than our first experience with arbitrage. I think there's there, there's an incredible lesson to learn in what you just shared, Nicole, because I think so many rookies who are listening have this misconception that the path to success is this linear journey when it's not, it's, 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 there's peaks and there's valleys and there's ups and there's downs. And there are days when you question like, man, is it even really worth it? Right. But you only fail when you stop going. And I think you're, you're the perfect example of that. And, you know, we've had failures in our business as well. And, and, you know, I, I have these moments where like, man, should I even be hosting a podcast about real estate investing when I messed up this bad, you know, and I have to kind of talk myself off the ledge from time to time as well. But it's that perseverance to say, Hey, failure is not something that, defines you, but it's something that allows you to kind of build that confidence to keep moving forward. So I, when you think about that journey, that initial part, you know, scale pretty quickly over those first 12 months with arbitrage. If you think about maybe that lowest point, what, what was that for you? The one worst point is I remember just being in one of the houses that we just signed up with and we saw, we didn't see the house. So it was sight unseen. We showed up the day to start unpacking all the furniture that we had in the front yard. We didn't have access into the house yet because the old tenants were still moving out. And when they finally left about eight hours after we were supposed to get entry into the house, we walked inside and it smelled like cat urine. The countertops were literally being pulled off the wall if you touched them and cockroaches were walking around the house and I sat on the floor and just started crying because I was <laughs> at a even... point I'm like I had no idea what to do it was disgusting. the cockroaches weren't even like they weren't even like skittering around the house you said they were just walking like leisurely like they're, yeah. they're, they're comfortable here right <laughs> yeah okay so so that so you're, was you're one sit- of the lowest points <laughs> yeah so I, I guess you know it, so did you know had you walked these properties beforehand or, or did you kind of sign these leases sight unseen the first three properties were all sight unseen, which is something I'm sure we can jump into is something we don't recommend. And I know a lot of people and the podcast has been so great and inspiring for me. I've been listening to it for years now. And you hear all the success stories of people investing across the country and not seeing the properties. And that's just something for myself that unless you have someone really trusted in that area, it is much better of an idea to actually go and visit the properties because all three of them were kind of a stomach drop reaction when we got to the area, seeing the neighborhood and the condition of the surrounding areas. So all of them were signed. The first three were signed before we saw them. Gotcha. And uh, after you saw them, did you move forward with the leases and, and try and set these up? or We did with two of them. And that's where part of our, our first red flag that we should have really realigned. We already had all the furniture in the house. We had someone moving it in for us while we were getting ready and prepared to start it as arbitrage and relied on agents in the area, helping us choose these homes, relying on the landlords. And it should have been an immediate red flag. One of them, the house that we did decide to back out of, we weren't able to get our security deposit back though. So that's where a lot of lessons learned in just a month time when we first, this was our first month of really trying to invest in real estate. So how did you make that jump, right? Because you said that you were owning gyms and, and, you know, you, you kind of had this idea of investing in real estate. You've been listening to the the podcast for a while, but I guess what, what was the, the kind of turning point uh, to make you say, I, I think I can actually do this? We were in Boston and saved up about $30,000. And I ended up buying a course from someone that I now wish I would have done more research on. A lot of our lessons learned are doing more research for yourself and not relying on other people. But we ended up purchasing a course about strictly rental arbitrage and how you could make $2,000 a month net profit 
per property. And with that amount that we had in savings, we signed those three leases while we were in Boston our last week at helping a gym open up there. And we packed up everything. We were living in an RV at that time and in one day made it to San Antonio, Texas and started our adventure there. But it was something that I was listening to the podcast for maybe gosh, like three months or something. One of my friends was a real estate agent and she was a really successful short-term rental investor. And so we talked to her a bit. She said to listen to your guys' podcast. And I'm a very big risk taker. I opened our gyms at the age of 22 and had no clients in San Diego, opened a gym immediately. So risk has not been something that I've been scared of, but have now been burned kind of a few times of learning that I need to move forward cautiously and not jumping in quite as quick as I have. I think, you know, part of the other, um, you know, I'm a big proponent of seeking guidance, seeking mentorship, getting coaching, because I do believe that with the right person showing you the way you can, you know, really reduce the amount of time, effort and energy that goes into achieving something like, um, you know, I share the story that I like to compete in amateur uh, fitness competitions. And like, you can see my, my trophy up here from my last show where I took first overall for the novice division. And it's like, I, you know, I consider myself an athlete my whole life. Like I played basketball growing up. I was always kind of in and out the gym. But in four months of working with this coach, I got in the best shape of my life ever. And, you know, I had whatever, 30 years prior to that of me in the gym doing it by myself. And I, I never got into that shape. So it's like when you can have someone that points in the right direction, there is a lot of value there. However, there's also a, a fine line to walk because there are some bad actors out there who I think um, try and make success seem simpler and easier, I think, than it actually is and promise a moon and, you know, deliver dirt (laughs) pretty much. So you you definitely got to do some, some homework to try and find, uh, find the right folks there. Um, so you, you jump in, you know, guns a blazing, get these first units out and, um, in, in San Antonio, what does that next 12 months look like? Because I think it was at that point where you posted that inside the rookie community walks to what those next 12 months look like. Absolutely. So Texas is obviously very hot. We had a lot of experiences going into winter and both summer of we started out and things were going well. Even though we weren't, one problem was that we weren't in a great location for any of these properties, though they're really close to downtown San Antonio. We were in the east side, which the neighborhoods are just very old neighborhoods. And if you're coming to an Airbnb, not used to those types of communities, we had really bad reviews for location. Even though the house was beautiful, we had a designer working with us. The location was a huge part that kind of drug us down. And over those few months, we ended up putting insulation in the attics ourselves at three in the morning when it was summertime and we weren't getting help from the landlords of them wanting to put any more money into their property. So there were times where at 3 a.m. we were in the attics putting insulation in the houses and one of the landlords helped us out with funding that. The other one's we're all not willing to do any upgrades to their house at all. So we were spending money on items such as that, buying mini splits and being told that we were going to at least get reimbursed for half of it by the landlord and then decide when it was time to give our security deposit back to keep half of our security deposit because we didn't have things in writing. So (laughs) a lot of it was not working with We had one incredible landlord. I don't want to say that all of them were trying to not help us with our business at all, but a lot of them, which most people do, are looking out for themselves. And we didn't have things as clear as we should have in our contracts of what was our responsibility, what was the landlord's responsibility, making sure if they agreed to anything, having that in writing. And so after about six months, the market just got super saturated as well. And it was at the point where we were on two of the properties, we were making a few hundred dollars and the rest of them, we weren't even breaking even at that point. So we were having to pay out of our pockets, which we did have our coaching business, which is always funny because I'm a coach myself and I should have been better with looking at coaches. But we were at the point we started to be losing money every month and not be able to even afford to pay the cleaning fees because we were at the point we 
could barely pay anything for the extra supplies and all that. So when you when you think about lessons learned from this journey, and I guess I didn't ask this question, Nicole, how many how many arbitrage units did you stand up during those 12 months? We had five. So we did five within pretty much six months time. Gotcha. Okay. So in six months, you guys got to five. So when you think about those five properties you stood up, what are some of the big lessons learned? Like say you were to, to restart arbitrage all over again today, what would you do differently? Number one of just doing your own due diligence. We, again, relied on the mentor that we were working with. To, and even reaching out to him one-on-one -on -one and saying, do you think this is a good idea? Them giving us the okay and w jumping forward with it when we did some research ourselves, but didn't do nearly enough. And then another aspect of doing the due diligence and talking to each of these landlords and making sure that expectations are set perfectly clear where there's no questions to be asked between either party of this is what's covered from pest control to if there is issues with the HVAC, how much time will it take to fix issues with the HVAC and being optimistic about stuff? Because if you're not optimistic at all, then you're never going to take that first step. But at the same time, go cautiously into things rather than just doing what I did and jumping as deep as you could into the water and not having anything around you to save yourself. Yeah. A lot, lot of really good lessons are, and, and, you know, unfortunately some of those things you can't really learn until you go through that experience, you know, and it's like, every time you do it, you start to identify, well, man, I, I didn't think of this last time, or man, this didn't even happen last time. So I couldn't, you know, I never would have thought of this, but as you go through that, um, th those lessons start to become more and more apparent. So you, you go through this journey, you make the decision to transition to co-hosting. So you sell off all of the, the furniture and everything from these arbitrage units. You walk away from these leases. You're starting at pretty much not even ground zero, maybe like ground negative five, right? Because you have the debt you got to pay off. So how do you go about making that transition? What's the very first step you take to, to make that pivot into co-hosting? So we had an interesting transition of one, getting out of our units. We were able to get out of a lot of the debt actually just from closing our units down. So that was a huge part of helping us start into co-hosting. We ended up finding two people to take over the properties that we were managing and they ended up, one of them is still running it as an Airbnb. The other one sold it to the cleaner, all the furniture that we had, and she's now running it as an Airbnb herself. And those connections were actually all off of Facebook and networking with people to find. Like, did you post inside of a Facebook group and say, hey, I'm, I'm looking to, to like give up my leases, my units or? Yep. <laughs> that was exactly what we did. So we were in, I think it was called short-term rental arbitrage. It has a few other words after it, but it was a specific Facebook group for people that were looking to do arbitrage. And I said, hey, things actually aren't going well for us. We're going to pivot into a different business. Is anyone interested in either buying off the furniture from us or would they like to take over these leases? And a third person ended up wanting all the furniture out of one of the houses. So we drove from San Antonio we moved all the furniture out of the house ourselves, and in one day took it to Birmingham, Alabama and hand delivered it all into the house for her. And she was, again, someone off of Facebook. And I still actually keep in touch with her and her property is doing great. And so from there, we started off having two co-hosting properties before we actually got rid of all of our units. One of them was a girl who ended up buying some furniture from us off of Facebook Marketplace when we were shutting down. She was having trouble with her management and our businesses looked really good from the outside. And that's something that I like to always make sure when you're looking at coaches and mentors, do some research on the people that you are pursuing to work with. Because if you would have looked at our page, it looked like we were doing great. We were super host. We had over 200 five-star reviews. We had a 4.9 rating overall. And so she had someone that their rating was closer to 4.0, which if you've been in Airbnb for a while, you know that that's not good at all, even though to the outside world, that seems okay. And so we were talking to her, said, I'll manage your house for the first month for free just to see if we can help you out of your situation. And she's now been a long-term friend, cleans our properties in San Antonio. We still have. And another person in San Antonio, we ended up helping with their property from a site called Co-Host Market. It's not 
anything huge or well known, but we ended up getting to work with her from a co-hosting site and then went from those two clients in August 2022. And now we have 14 homes in just a year time without doing any marketing or advertising for trying to gain new business with co-hosting. So 14 co-hosting units in, in a year, Nicole, is incredibly impressive. And, um, you know, no marketing spend whatsoever. It makes it even more impressive. So I'm, I'm curious, right? It, it seems like those first couple of units just kind of came from happenstance, right? Like connections you had made and, you know, maybe, you know, connecting the dots backwards. But I don't know if that's necessarily a repeatable process. So I, I guess once you made the decision to really focus in on co-hosting, what were the steps you took to go from two to 12? It was even more making connections. And that's how we've really been able to grow our business organically. So we have a few friends all over that are real estate agents. And from our other businesses, we've been able to meet people all over the US. So our next two people we picked up, one was actually from Upwork. So we started to do some work ourselves. We didn't have any money at this point to spend on marketing. So that's where we were really starting at, like you said, not even ground zero, but kind of underwater. The basement level. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it was a lot of truly going on Facebook and looking for people that needed help with their properties and going on to sites like Upwork and co-host market and just trying to find leads organically and getting on the phone and talking to people and meeting with real estate agents, which I know a lot of the real estate rookies, it is a great way. If you're making friends with real estate agents, they're going to be able to help you immensely. And four of our listings have come from just a friend who's a real estate agent. So making connections with people has been the number one thing. And it's just myself and my partner that run the business. So there's no team behind us to be making cold calls every day, but it's truthfully just trying to find people that are in need of help. And most of our clients were already had a short-term rental when we started off and it just wasn't doing well with their prior co-host or their prior management. Some of them were working with Vacasa and Evolve and we were able to even find those leads of going onto Airbnb and seeing what markets are great markets to be co-host in, but are underperforming houses that are beautiful properties, but have not the greatest reviews. So we'd kind of look for properties four stars, which is sad, but four stars and under and find the owner's contact information with some d deep digging, just trying to not pay for anything. Cause again, we didn't have the money and we were able to convert a few leads that way as well from finding properties that were underperforming though they were beautiful homes and reach out to the owners, just explain who we are, what we do. We'd love to help them and see if we can get their property performing as we believe that it could. Nicole, what an incredible strategy. And I want to dig into exactly how you were finding these owners' names. And uh, I also want to hear how you're seeing accountable to these owners, right? Because you're setting up properties in different markets and being a co-host, you're kind of not in between a rock and a hard place, but you've got to keep your guests happy on one end, but then you also have to keep the owners happy on the other end. So you are serving two different people at the same time. So I want to get into how that works right after a quick break uh, to hear a word from our show sponsor. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. All right, Nicole. So we just talked through you. You kind of planted a little seed here that I want to I want to dig into a little bit. But you said that part of your strategy for finding new leads for your co-hosting business was referrals from realtors, you know, kind of working in different Facebook groups, the guerrilla marketing type things. But then you said something interesting where you were targeting properties on Airbnb that had four stars or less. I get how you would do that, right? Just open up Airbnb. But what was your process for actually identifying the contact information for these owners? It's a bit tough. It's not the easiest way to do it. So if you have time on your hands, it is a great marketing strategy, though. I can think of a way. And I'm curious if this is how you're actually doing it, right? But let me yeah, let me hear what your, what your strategy is. So when you go to Airbnb, you can see an approximate location of where the house is and most people do have photos of the exterior of the home. And as a real estate agent, we get really good at finding property owners contact information, but this is something anyone can do. And so we would find where the approximate location is, go to Google Maps Street View and try to see if we could find that property. Sometimes it's impossible because it's, again, an approximate location for some people's houses. Others will, and we never message the host to say, hey, can you provide me your address and do anything like that? But going to the maps, going to Google, trying to find the address and then putting it into PropStream and True People Search to find the homeowner's names, contact information and reach out to them that way. I love that. And what what would you say when you reached out to them? Were you sending a mailer? Were you just calling them? What was your what was your pitch? We would cold call them and say, "Hi, my name's Nicole. I am the owner of Valens Rentals. We saw that you have a listing on Airbnb and your home is beautiful, but we see that it's not performing or doesn't have the best rating. What do you think is 
causing that and kind of letting them. And most people know that their property is not performing. And some of them have actually been like, oh, what's my rating? They don't even know what their current standing is since some of the property management companies don't share a lot of information with their owners. And just having a genuine conversation with them, not even trying to sell them at first of our services, but just seeing if there's a way that it would make sense for us to help them because we're not looking for a quick dollar for any client we work with. We want it to be long-term relationships where we're working with them for years to come. Almost like a like a free audit, right? Like, hey, I'm, I'm not even selling you anything, but like, let me do an audit of what's currently going on in, in your business. Absolutely. And, you know, my the, the gears are kind of turning for me right now. Like, we have, you know, we have some virtual assistants on our team and we're looking at really growing our, our co-hosting business this year as well. And I'm thinking like, man, you know, our VAs have downtime during the day and we could probably fill some of that time. I just say, hey, here's a list of all of the, you know, four bedroom, five bedroom properties in this market, do exactly what Nicole just said and go search for those those addresses on on PropStream. So I I love that. So I, I want to get back to the, the other part of the question I had earlier before the ad break, which was how are you actually staying accountable to the owners? Because you again, you've got to keep the, the guests happy and give them a five star experience, but then you've also got to keep the owners happy. So what is kind of your process for navigating that relationship with the owners of the property? Communication is key and focusing on people first and the business secondary, even though that's not how a lot of people like to look at business nowadays. Everyone's looking at every person as a dollar sign, but every single client we work with knows that they can, other than right this second during the podcast, they can't get a hold of me, but they can get a hold of my partner giving us a call or text. And if we're not available right that minute, they know that we're going to be able to be there for them, usually within an hour. And Every single one of them has full access to their listing. So we don't really have leverage over any of our owners. We don't hold them to 90-day contracts. We don't make it where they don't own their property. So if they would want to switch from working with us, they can easily remove us as a co-host and start managing themselves or have another co-host take over pretty much that day. So we just make it extremely transparent for every owner we work with. And they know that they can see everything that we're doing. And that first month we work with everyone, they will check every message that we send to a guest. They will be checking and asking, oh, what did that person say? How are you guys going to handle this? And after about a month, they get to the point of, I'll text them if an issue arises. We had a plumbing emergency the other day, texted the owner immediately saying, hey, we have this issue going on at your house right now. Plumber is on the way. And he said, no worries at all. I know that you guys are taking care of it. And so giving people access to what you're doing and allowing them to see what's going on with their business, because for most people, this is their biggest investment that they'll ever have in their lives and giving them full transparency into what we're doing, how we're interacting with the guests that are coming to their house has given them so much trust that there's usually no questions asked of how we're performing because they can see it. They can see it in the reviews. And most people will call us out in the reviews of saying they were getting back to me within minutes or seconds and they were exceptional hosts. And so having our names in the reviews too helps with the owner's trust of, okay, these people are doing a really good job. They're And without ever asking, can you put our name in the review? It's just something that guests are doing because as much as the owners have to be your focus, as you said, the guests are also a number one priority too, which is kind of competing with one another. There's, uh, you know, you, you touched on a lot of good things, but, you know, something that stood out to me is that you said um, you're you're not owning the listing and you're, you're kind of letting the host see the messages and, and kind of be involved in that way. And, you know, that's I, I, I applaud you for that, because I think that takes a certain level of like uh, patience with the owners that that I probably don't have myself. Like for, you know, as we look to scale our co-hosting business, our, our property management business, uh, we've kind of taken the other approach where it's like, hey, we own the listing. It's going to be under our name. Um, you're not going to get login details because I don't want you messaging guests. I don't want you like asking me how I'm going to respond to things. So it's a slightly different approach. But I think what you shared is that it really, really puts pressure on you as the co-host to perform because they're able to see everything. So I, I guess that that leads into my next question, Nicole, of like what, what exact services are you providing? Because when it comes to Airbnb management, I've seen it done a few ways where like some managers, they only do the guest communication. 
right? But they're not scheduling maintenance. They're not doing pricing. They're not ordering supplies. Um, and then there's other folks who do like full stop everything. And that, that's, that's kind of how we run our, our coaching business. We do everything. Um, so where do you kind of fall? What services do you provide to owners? At first, we were offering those two options for people, depending what their needs were. At this point, we only have one client that does want just communicate guest communications and the rest of them are full service where the owners usually only hear from us if there's a handyman issue that needs to be addressed at the house. So we do take care of everything from guest communications. If air cover requests need to be put in, we're ordering supplies. We're doing schedulings for the cleaners, the handyman, making it a full service operation without being a technical property manager, since we aren't licensed property managers. And we make that very clear to every client that we work with. So and for some that don't know the difference of that, it's as a property manager and it is legal in a few states where you don't need to be licensed. But for most states, you're not able to accept guest payments if you're not a legal property manager. So all of the payments that guests put in through Airbnb or Verbo all get sent directly to every single owner that we're working with, where we just get a reimbursement at the end of the month. I was actually going to ask that question, right? So when it comes to making payments for cleaners, for supplies, for the vendors that come out, how are you managing that if all of the deposits are going to the owners? Are you sending the invoices to the owners and letting them pay that? Are you fronting those costs and then just attaching that on the back end to your invoice? How are you managing these? These, you know, Because there's a lot of expenses on a monthly basis to keep an Airbnb running. Yes. And it can be just to give people an example of the 12 houses that we're working with. It can be about $12,000 in random expenses from cleanings and handyman and supplies throughout the month. So for most of the homes that we are working with, we actually went and set up the properties ourselves. There's a few that we didn't do that with. So we got an initial payment from the owners for completely setting up their property. So we had that money saved and in reserves for those first initial cleanings and handyman expenses and supplies. We Airbnb does now offer the ability to pay your co-host directly or pay your cleaners out of each booking. They took that service away for a few years, I believe it was, but we're about to transition to that now to where we at least get our co-host payments directly from each booking. We're going to get the cleaning payments as well so that we're not 12,000 under every month waiting for the owners to reimburse us. But most of them, we did have a reserve just from setting up their property for them. And that was kind of our initial deposit. And, you know, it's tricky. I've, I've, I've met uh, property managers, co-hosts, et cetera, that, that kind of go one of either way, right? Where they'll collect all the income and then they'll issue a, a debit, you know, or a payment to the owner at the end of the month. Um, you know, and obviously there's a little bit more bookkeeping involved with that. And, you know, there's a little bit more onus on you as the the property manager to kind of make sure everything's buttoned up. And then other people are like, hey, I don't want to deal with that headache of accepting payments on behalf of the owner. So I'm just going to invoice. And then the downside of that is like, you know, you, you got to float some cash every month or maybe you're chasing an owner down for an invoice, things like that. So uh, pros and pros and cons to to both. One of the other things I want to I want to ask here is you mentioned like the the setup fee. What are some other things you've noticed uh, or maybe you've recognized as important things to include in that co-hosting agreement? There's definitely a lot you want to make sure that you're covering for yourself. And again, going back to just setting expectations for if you're going to pursue rental arbitrage, having those expectations set in your contract. Same thing for co-hosting. So we had an attorney write up our co-hosting agreement. It's not anything crazy, no 30-page documents. It's just a four-page document laying it out exactly. If you want to stop working with us, we just need a 30-day notice. All supplies are going to be provided at your expense. All handyman instances are going to be provided by the owner's expense. Cleanings are covered by owners and just laying out every single thing from your lawn care, your pool cleanings, all utilities, HOA fees, uh, taxes for certain cities, every single item that, which at first you might not know, but you can definitely create a list of that and find even in Airbnb's community, you can see all the different things. If you're not familiar with running a short-term rental yet, there's a lot of things that go into it if you're helping try to full-time co-host for people. And every owner we work with 
really that's been a selling point for at least from what we've seen is they want nothing to do with their property other than to make money off of it. So that's been our approach of we will take care of everything from even if a guest would damage something at the property. We include that in the contract as well of we're not responsible for any damage to the property, but we will help submit an air cover request and making sure they talk to an attorney themselves and talk to their accountants and make sure that they've talked to their insurance broker and that they're covered. I know you guys did an awesome episode on short-term rental coverage, and I listened to that one. And it's a scary one, but one that everyone should listen to in the short-term rental world. And you want to make sure that owners are aware of every single thing that you're going to be offering for your service. And for some people, as you said, that don't want to do full service, making that even more clear that your only responsibility is guest communication. And what's the expectation for overnight emergencies? Are you, do you have someone on call that's going to be able to answer at two in the morning? Though it's rare, I've had to do it six or so times of 2 a.m. emergency phone calls. <laughs> so many good points there. And and yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot that goes into doing this the right way. So for folks who are looking to get into co-hosting, replay this last you know 60 seconds here so you can really get some of those nuggets that Nicole just laid out. I want to get into maybe some misconceptions about real estate investing. That's one of the things we like to do here on the Ricky podcast is, you know, play the role of myth busters to like really paint a, a realistic picture of what it's like to invest in real estate. Um, but before I, I, I touch on that, just one last question about the, the co-hosting side of things. You, you started off, you had some, some of these units in, in San Antonio and Texas. Um, but you said that your, your co-hosting properties are in, in several different states. So were you choosing the state first and then targeting properties within that state? Or did, did like the client pull you into that state and then you decided to just expand there? Like how, how were you choosing these cities for your co-hosting business? We did start off in a market we were familiar with. So our first two units were both in San Antonio that we started to co-host for. The first one was actually, again, sight unseen. We were in Washington State at that time when we decided to start working with this owner. And we were familiar with those markets. We had our cleaning team already there. We had handyman at our disposal to use. So if you have a market close to you, I think it's a lot easier to get started locally if this is something that you're interested in pursuing and building your team where you're familiar, or at least have contacts that you know. From there, we were looking at where's some hot markets and Florida being one of them at that time of we would love to manage some units in Florida. So we did start off of picking a home base and saying, we know this market, we have our team, and then looking to where could we potentially profit more? Yeah, just just real quick, when you chose Florida, right? Because uh, you didn't have a team there yet. So you found your property first and then kind of worked backwards to build out the infrastructure to support that first co-hosting job? Yes, that's correct. So we were in Florida or in Texas at the time and we ended up, we were on our way to Florida, but had our first client reach out. And in that first unit, we were actually able to go and set up. So if you have the ability Again, we travel full time in an RV, so we have the ability of freedom of travel and we can offer that as a service to each owner we work with with extra travel fees if it's out of our local area. But we've been able to go start in South Carolina because we had the ability to do so and started a unit up there. We, The only one we haven't been able to go visit is in New Mexico, but we started a team remotely for there. I love that. So last question I have for you, Nicole, I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure Ricky's got a lot of value from this as well, but what was something that you that you learned about real estate investing that, that ended up being different from what's actually working in your business today? What are some misconceptions? The first one being that you think you're going to hit a home run on your first deal sometimes, and it doesn't always work out as anticipated, and that's okay. I've learned, even though it was a painful lesson, all the rental arbitrage is something that I'm not angry about because it led us into a better business that actually fits my lifestyle better as well. It's a lot less risk. It's more stable income. And just being able to be okay if your first deal, and you guys hit this so much on the podcast, it doesn't have to be a huge win for you, but just getting started and going slowly into it is something that 
isn't promoted now. It's kind of a go big or go home if you want to get invested in real estate. And it's okay if you're profiting one or $200 on your first property, that's still a win if you're just getting started. I love that, right? That, that first deal is about base hit, right? Learning those ropes and, and it's that learning experience that's, that's most important. So Nicole, again, really enjoyed this conversation. You shared so much, so much value. Uh, and if folks want to get in touch with Nicole, you guys go to the the notes for this episode. If you're on YouTube, check the, the uh, description of the video. If you're listening on, on your favorite podcast app, check the show notes section here. But uh, Nicole, really enjoyed today's conversation. And look, we, we talked about pivoting into a new strategy when the first one isn't working and the importance of, of networking and how your first co-hosting clients came from that network that you built out. We talked about the, the value or the importance of clear communication, both with your guests and with your owners. And what are some of those important things you should include when you're building out that co-hosting agreement? So Nicole, thank you again so much for coming on today's Real Estate Rookie episode. Thank you so much, Tony. I appreciate it. All right, guys, that's it for today. Again, my name is Tony J. Robinson. You can find my social information in the description for the show note here as well. And we'll see you guys on the next episode of the Real Estate Rookie podcast. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.